What if you believed you could achieve any success you want? What would you do differently? What would you think differently? Thank you for listening to On the Air with Jeanette Sibley. It's your time for success. I'm coming to you from the Mile High City of Denver, Colorado. My focus each week is to share with you success tips, insights, and how to do it that help you achieve the results and successes you've always wanted in your life, in your business, and in your career. Are you ready to uncover the success you've always wanted? How many of you have ever experienced failure? Most of you would say, me. I know I can say me as well. While some people have experienced failure, many don't take the time to address the hows and whys. They simply try to avoid making the same error or errors. Many times the failure is repeated since they didn't get to the heart and soul of the issue. I know I've had those failures and experiences in my own life. My guest today has experienced failure many times in her life as a business owner, yet she picked herself up, uncovered why, and learned how to improve. She made the corrections and moved forward, and her results exemplify that, which I'm going to allow her to share those. My guest today is Lisa Renke. She's a successful business owner and now an award-winning children's author and has a couple other books in the works as well. Let's learn how she overcame business failure, then used it to shape her amazing successes. In a moment, I will have Lisa introduce herself in 20 words or less. As I've mentioned in my earlier podcast and in my book, It's Time to Brag, it's important to keep your intro short and on point to capture others' attention. Lisa, welcome. So please share with the audience who you are. Hi, I'm Lisa Reinecke, and I'm the owner and founder of Automotive Warranty Network. We went from zero to a $22 million company. So Lisa, what makes you passionate about our topic today? I find that in so many people that I meet, they have this passion and drive to create a company, and they give up too soon, and they give up on that dream, and they give up on that creativeness because life got in the way. For example, fashion, I'll, I'll take fashionista, fashionistas or they want to open a restaurant or they have this passion within them and they have all these creative things that can make them a success. But when it comes to the rubber meeting the road and the hard stuff starts to happen, they lose the commitment that it takes to see their dream all the way through. When hard times come, they give up. They do. Yeah, a lot of times we rely on excitement, but we forget excitement is a feeling. It's something like any feeling. It comes, it goes, and sometimes it can come and go really, really fast. I remember one time talking with a a young woman who wanted me to help her with a business plan. And even though that's not primarily what I do, write business plans, I do help people get clear as to what is the purpose, what is the goal, and from there they can put together the business plan. And I told her, and this was, again, years ago, but at that time, I said, well, it's going to cost you $300. And she goes, oh, I can't afford $300. And I said, well, given that you want to set up a high-end boutique in a high-rent district, $300 is nothing. Right. And so right. it was really sad that she couldn't see that in order to get that money, in order to get the loan from the bank, they were requiring her to go go that extra mile and she just kiboshed it. And that to me was very sad. You could tell that she had a passion for 
for what she wanted to do. She just failed to honor her commitment and find a way to make it happen. Exactly. You you bring up a good point there. Laura Inglewilder, she wrote for the farm paper for many, many years, and she wrote an article one time about how we start to pay for things long before we buy them. So that brings me back to what you just said. You know, the plow is broken, so you wire it together. Well, that affects the the crops that you're bringing in <laughs> that you can't cut because your tractor is broken. The same thing with what you just mentioned there. You can't move on. So you've already started losing money and paying for something and you haven't even bought it yet. Exactly. And two of the number two, there's two number one, I think they're even. <laughs> so there's two number one excuses that a lot of people rely on. And one is time. I don't have it. And yet we all have 24, yeah. same 24 hours in a day. And then number two is money. I don't have the money. Yeah, using the example I just shared with the $300, if we were to look in her closet or in her refrigerator, we would find more than 300 or even, the, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, even a manicure, pedicure, I mean, <laughs> things like that. I mean, there's things that we can't do <laughs> to pay for everybody this. Has, everybody has their nails done, but we can't eat. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So... When we've talked in the past, you mentioned having had business failures, which quite frankly surprised me. Uh, you seem very successful. And so when I heard that, I go, oh my goodness, I, I was just shocked. And yet you are a successful business owner. You are a successful author, an award-winning author. So what happened that turned things around? And I think that's really what my audience wants to hear today is, what did you need to do to make that happen for you to make to allow success to encourage success to do what you had to do to be successful there is something inside of me and i can't name it that refuses to give up i can be as far down and it, it does go through my head that we should give up we shouldn't be there because i've been broke many times i can remember being so poor, we were paying our employees that our our washing machine, our septic tank was full, and I threw the washing machine out, hose out the window so I could do laundry. But there's something inside that, that, well, maybe we shouldn't do this anymore. Maybe I should give up. And then it starts going through my head about all the people that won't have a chance if I give up. Because they won't have a job. I mean, you, how many employees do you have? We have... 250 employees. Wow. But even when we had three or four and I was in the basement of the house and I had four people, I couldn't give up for them. And when it came to the final, final words of saying I'm pulling the plug, there was something inside of me that couldn't do it. There was a commitment that I had made to all these people and to myself and to my clients that I am going to succeed. I am not going to let you down. And a lot of it is our clients too, is that I refuse to let them down, that I, that I would, could never get past to give up. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is also, like you said, there's something within us. And I think it's within a lot of people. I know I can on point relate to what you're saying about there's something within us. I have that too. I would also suggest that all of us have that somewhere in ourselves. 
some of us have it more camouflage than others. And then some of us who are more type A personalities may have that more in the forefront. But I think all of us want to succeed. And that, again, is the whole purpose in having this podcast is to help people see, hey, I'm not alone. There's other people that have come before me that have gone through this. What can I learn? So what is it that you learned in this process that helped you stay on point? And exactly what was the failure? Oh, golly. Well, the failure was several of them. (laughs) (laughs) So at first, our failure was that we grew too fast. So when we started, when I started this in the basement, I started by myself with a few other people. Uh, I hired employees and we worked in the basement. Well, that grew and we grew into an oversized garage that we did. And then we were 12. And then all of a sudden, my husband decided that he said, this is working so well. He said, I will come and do your sales for you. Mm-hmm. That, that worked. He was a great salesman. He can sell ice to the igloos, <laughs> Eskimos for their igloo. But um, what we found is that we started growing so fast, we had to move to an office building. So now all the things that you have to pay for have increased. Now you've got all these people depending on you and it was too much, too many clients and we couldn't keep up with our growth. So we took on a partner, partner and rich didn't get along and didn't see eye to eye. The plan was to have me stay on and to have him resign. But when you are dealing with your family and you've got a family business, you have to make a choice. And so I went with him. We went to court and we had and we got our lawyer. The only lawyer we could afford, by the way, was uh, the lawyer to the porn stars. And oh guy, and he kept going, okay, okay, okay. And he had the <laughs> fitting suit on. And he knew we weren't going to win. But in the end, I just went into the courtroom and I took all of the things that I, that I had read and all the manuals and all the legal documents. And he said, well, where did you get your, prefer- you know, your insider knowledge? And I presented him with all this. I said, I read. Nobody else wants to read, but I have read all of this legal material and this is where I got my information. So he said, he ruled for us. We took three-fourths of the employees away from, it was kind of a coup that happened. We took three-fourths of the employees with no money and started our business all over again. My goodness. So we started from zero again. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I think most people would have just given up at that point, but you didn't, you kept going on. So what were you, what was going on between the time that you won the lawsuit and then you restarted, there was a gap, but there was an internal gap there that had to be addressed. And so for our audience, what was that internal going on, that inner whatever that's going on? Some people call it power, some people call it strength. It was adrenaline, I think. Adrenaline, okay. I believe that that is, I, I, I can remember back and I'm, I'm thinking back that that was adrenaline. It was like, this really happened and the police were there and it was mad and there was anger. It was adrenaline going and we're it no matter what. I am not letting this defeat me. So we actually drove, before the ruling came in that we could do business where we were, we would drive every day this 50 to 75 miles to a sleazy hotel room with striped, you know, the old striped bed 
bedspreads. <laughs> we would set our computers up in this old hotel room, and it, you could see the handprints on the headboards and oh jeez I think I think I think we get the point so moving along but but, but, you know that there was adrenaline going anyway of like okay we're doing this we felt like we were in a movie of the and we were doing our business and getting new clients and our employees were there um you know we might get donuts that would be our our thing for the day and there was this adrenaline going of we won't give up I'm not going to give up so it's just that commitment. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was, to me, that's like a diehard commitment. It's like so ingrained in you that I am going to succeed and we are going to have this work. And clearly you were able to do that. You know, you can be Eeyore and let it get you down. And oh, poor me and I can't make it. Or you could be Tigger and I've always been Tigger. <laughs> <laughs> and that comes from... What book? Think <laughs> 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 there's a a new book in there somewhere. Oh. So, but didn't that then happen yet again? Yes, it did. Oh my goodness! We grew, you know, beyond because we decided one of the the things that we had going on with the partner that we took on is that we wanted to be more of a network of people to help others. Rather than we're just a one trick pony, we're going to do one thing and we do it better than anybody else, which we did. But if you didn't want our services, well, to heck with you. Well, I had always said that outsourcing and being having a third party may not work for everyone, but we should be teaching. So if that doesn't work for them, then we should be helping the dealership, you know, learn to do it themselves. And so I said, I wanted to have this training program that could help people and not only help our people, but help other people out in the industry. So we were able to do that and grow our business, not for just the processing, the third party. We also instituted a training program, which really grew. Then 2008 hit. If anybody out there remembers the automobile business, we took a diet. It was a horrible time for the automobile business. Well, what we do depends on auto sales. So we hit rock bottom again. Everybody, none of the dealerships had money. A lot of them were going out of business. We had a business consultant come out and he said, you are not going to make it. He said, you've got to cut back to core. And I can remember my husband sitting at the table and he pounded his hand on the table and he says, you need to get out right now. We are going to make it. Now, was that a financial conversation? We're not going to make it? Or financial and just the auto business was so dismal that we couldn't keep all of the employees that we had because dealers were dropping right and left. That was the, that was even closer to me giving up in 2008 than I was when we had the company break up with the partners. So you were broke again. We were and broke you had again. To cut, cut the company down to the core to survive, and you did that. And then what happened in 2010, if I remember the story correctly? In 2010, we came back up. What had happened in 2008, I want to step back to that just a second. When we went to bed that night, it was a pretty sad situation. And I can remember the next day, we all got up, we all put our pants on. And their core went to work. And when we got there, 
there was a newfound commitment of this small group saying, dadgummit, we're going to get back to it. 2010, things started coming back up. And we created, my son, one of my sons created a software program that revolutionized the car industry. Um, what had happened in 2008 took all the manufacturers down to zero as well as the dealerships. And a lot of them went out of business. We came down to zero. What we found in 2000, as we started to come back up in 2009 and then in 2010, is the manufacturer says, look, we went broke in 2008. We got to recoup some of that money. And so what they did was they said, okay, if we audit and we find all the things that the people have done wrong, the dealerships have done wrong, then we can recoup our money back from the dealerships because they didn't do things right because they didn't have any money either. Right. In 2010, we created the software that revolutionized the industry where we could take compliance and tell a dealership immediately what they had done wrong so they wouldn't lose their money. Great. And so now you employ over 250 employees worldwide and you have thousands of clients and you're continuing to grow, correct? Yep. Great. So what is the secret to overcoming failure? Um, sometimes it feels, I know I've had this experience where it's like a runaway freight train is about ready to run me over, but I don't know how to get out of the way. So what have you done? I mean, sometimes you obviously didn't get out of the way either, but what did you do? Like what were our one or two key points that you did to overcome failure? Because I believe one time you had said, I had to get real that I'm not the best manager of people. <laughs> when you, when things hit you, when the catastrophes hit you, you can become frozen like that freight train and you see it coming. So if you freeze on the tracks, you're going to get hit. And if you freak, mm. start screaming, you're going to fall on the tracks and get hit by the train anyway. And it's been an ability to step back and say, figure this out. And by doing that, you can get your wits around you and figure out what your next step is going to be before you start screaming, freaking out, and making all those poor choices in the heat of the moment. So if you can take a beat and think it through, you can make a better decision. Oh, it's like pause, breathe, yes. and then maybe Breath talk it out with one or two people, get clear, and then get right back in action. I yep. think a lot of times, at least with um, my coaching clients, when those types of things have happened, is they want to sit and contemplate. They want to sit and overthink it, overanalyze it. They've allowed fear to get in the way. And as a result, fear is now running the show. Fear is a liar. It'll lie to you. It'll tell you you can't do it. Don't listen to it. I think that's probably the best advice. Don't listen to it. But yet we do because it's, we, we love listening to that little voice in our head that says, ah, you're not going to make it. It isn't going to work. And it's like, well, you know, you get to be right or you get to make it wrong. So but I think it was Henry Ford, wasn't it, that said you get to be right or wrong and you get to choose something yeah. like that. <laughs> it's always your choice. What are you going to choose? So you said something to me one time and in preparation for this interview that your dad always taught you something. 
What was that? Well, my dad always taught me to get back, get right back up. Um, I can remember back, my first memory was I had a little Shetland pony and that little pony was kind of mean. Shetlands are kind of mean, but he, I, I must've been bucked off or fell off. And I can remember he didn't say a word to me. He walked out on that pasture, cupped his hands, got my foot. He said, just didn't say anything, just had me cup, cup his hands and lifted me right back up on that. And I took off. I think that that always stuck, stuck in my brain is we don't always really need to talk about it. Just get right back up and get going again. I think you're right. And, and then there's other times where people do need to talk about it. I remember working with a, a gentleman uh, earlier this year who had been a high level executive within a company and was let go. And he spent the last five years trying to find his footing. He'd try to be self-employed. He bought a franchise and that failed. He'd try this and that didn't work. And and he was in a job where he was in a straight commission sales job. And even though he could sell, he was making pittance. And when I worked with him, and it was only like a couple hours And I said, this is what you got to do. And you have to stop thinking about it because you wanted to know why, why do I feel this way? Why do I think that way? It's like, it doesn't matter. Stop. What is your commitment? And then we came up with three actions. You need to have them done by two o'clock. It was like 10 in the morning and he did it. And now two weeks later, guess what? He's reemployed six figure income and loving his job. So you're right. I mean, sometimes we spend way too long trying to process, trying to come up with reasons why. Instead, just get in action and make it happen. Wow, that's quite a story right there. Brings you back to your question about the manager and what doing what you're good at and what you're wired to do. Um, obviously, he needed, he wasn't good at getting that playing, going by himself, and he needed you to spur him on. I had a a coach one time, and we used to laugh at it because he'd go, birds fly, fish swim, and people do what they're they're (laughs) wired to do. And it got to be such a joke that every time in the office when a little employee would fail, we'd go, well, you know why that happened. Birds fly, fish swim. (laughs) And people do what they're going to do. And I think think one of the things, one of the tools – that I've used for the past 27 years is a state of the art assessment. And I think that's one of the things where it helps you get really clear without all the trial and error as to exactly what kind of a salesperson you're going to be. What kind of a manager are you going to be? Should you even be doing one or the other? I mean, there's people in sales that should not be in sales and all that doing is they're just checking off that. I failed again box. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And those, and those tests are pretty accurate. I mean, it kept If you get a qualified one, I'm going to, if you get a qualified one and most aren't, most aren't scientifically qualified. But um, my husband and I took one and we're both, I mean, he's such a high D chart and I'm high D and we both came back as terrible managers. (laughs) I am not a terrible manager and (laughs) he's uses to believe it. But the thing is, like you said, I am not a good manager. 
Well, well, that's what you had shared with me. And, right. And I, and I really think that that's important. Having worked with a lot of business owners, a lot of people who think they have to be a boss and then they fail. And then they, they try to get another job as a boss or as a, another you know, business to run. And then they fail again. And the, and the key isn't that they're not great people. They don't have great ideas. It's just they shouldn't be managing other people. No. And if you are seriously, if you are the owner and founder of this thing that you have passion for, this company, most likely you're the creator, developer of the business, and you're not the manager. <laughs> right. This totally ended creating that better product and creating that business. And so when people come to you and say, oh, I won't be here tomorrow, you don't even hear that because you're in creator developer mode. And now all of a sudden the employees are coming to work because you didn't even hear them say they weren't going to be here. <laughs> or five of them said they were going to be gone at the same time. That's where you want to have a manager that's managing that so not all five people are taking the same time off. So. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Some things never change. So how have these lessons that we've been talking about in overcoming these failures, how have they supported you in becoming an award-winning children's author? And then how did they support you? I know you wrote a, a book about your dad. Mm -hmm. It's a biography. And you're... Also, you just told me when we started, before we just started this recording, that you're writing a business book. It's like, wow. And the business book is these business, a lot of times you go to seminars or you read a business book and it's how to do this, how to do that. And you've got that excitement for just a few minutes of you can go out and do it. <laughs> and then it leaves you or you go back to work and all of a sudden life just went you know, and hit you in the face. And this business book is more about, it's race car analogies, but it's more about this happens in the real world and this is what's going to happen. So be prepared for it. It's a lot of fun. It's humor, but it's also going to give you some good business principles of what to do the next step. And I think that's key. I know a lot of people want to write a book more to get back at somebody who did them wrong. But that's not the tonality, at least of the books I've seen you write. That's not your tonality. No, your no. tonality is, this is what I learned on my way to where I'm at today. I've had yeah. successes. I've had failures. So tell me more about that. If I can do this, you can too. And that is what I want to help people with. When they're discouraged, you can get back up. You can get that emotion and all that excitement back. You are going to get cheated. Get over it. It's going to happen. Here's how you can minimize it, but people are going to cheat, cheat you. And you know what? Your best friend is probably going to do it. So it's, Or could do it. Yeah. So it's trying to help them get past that next thing so that they can keep going. They can keep making that commitment and going, oh yeah, I remember that funny story. So now I just need to get back up on the horse and keep going. Well, I think that's a great analogy. A lot of times when something bad happens, and I know I've, I've done this to myself as well, but we get this myopic view of, I don't want that happening again. It's too painful. Uh, it was financially devastating. My kids don't like me anymore because their dad is unhappy or their mom is unhappy, like whatever that might be. And instead of expanding and finding out what we can do to move forward, 
we get real tiny. And that's just not who we are built to be as human beings. I guess if there would be one thing that I hope that the book can take away for people is this too shall pass. Mm, That one needs to be repeated. This too shall pass. And I'm going to put a corollary to that because my mom used to say this, you make it mean too much. That's a good one too, right? This is a tiny piece of time. And once we get past this tiny piece, you can do the rest of it. But guess what? Another tiny piece is coming too. So be prepared for that. And then let's get past it and make it good. Yeah, let's work it. Yes. Let's work it. And again, I think one of the things, again, I want to emphasize, and you mentioned it yourself, is to find the right coach. I know a couple of weeks ago, I did a podcast on how to select the right coach. And I can provide that URL in the podcast overview for our listeners today. And I think that's important. A lot of times we rely on that, again, that voice in our head. And all that voice is going to tell us, because it's really our ego, is to stay small, be safe, don't do that again. Good example. One of our managers, she, she just felt, especially with our cars that we talked about earlier, our software, she felt like she didn't need as many managers. And our coach, our business manager just kept saying, you, you need this many for this many people. And, and if you don't get started now, you're going to be behind the ball and you won't be able to catch up. And this is going to cause the problem that you had back when you had to take on a partner. She didn't listen and she didn't listen. And I kept letting her go with it. And I said, you know, we just got to help her see it for herself because no matter who tells her, she's not going to see it. So we tried, we put her in situations where she finally realized, okay, I need one. Well, then she got one and she realized how good that was. And then she got two. (laughs) And now she has 25. And she goes, I don't know how I ever made it without all the, without. In my opinion, that would be way too many as well. But again, I'm sure it's a process. So, (laughs) But you know, too, I think as owners of a business, uh, because we're the creator developer and this is our baby, we think that we start as workers. So we're a worker in our own industry right then because that's what we have to do to get the business going but then when it comes time to expand and get a manager in place or an administrator or somebody to do this job you go well what am I going to do and there's a time like the song Simon and Garfunkel there is a time to let go and when you do that's when your business grows the next exactly so getting back to your successes and the books Uh, Anything you want to say about what really prompted you to become an award-winning author? Well, I had a lot to say. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's been evident on this in this interview. So, and and thank you for doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I felt like we needed to be, you know, even at a young age, if we can teach our kids some of these great attributes when they're small and give parents the ability to have a story that they can really have these conversations with these little people that are right next to them on the couch. Wonderful start to their world. It would be 
And that's why I started writing the stories for children. And then with, um, with the memoir for my dad, I wanted to give some examples of what a good man looks like and what World War II generation looked like. They had commitment. They it did. It wasn't about them. It was about the family and our country and the commitment to both. And I wanted to share that story to help encourage people to get back that commitment. That's great. In, in one of your books, Wilhelmina, you talked about, you talk about in the book, uh, self-esteem. And I think sometimes that's what gets in our way when we fail. Our self-esteem plummets. We, we don't know how to get that back. And yet you wrote a book about that. I did. And I wrote it for kids. Mm-hmm. Our, the mirror, and I think, but I think there's a life lesson in there for adults there is, too. There, there is. <laughs> and, and, you know, they say with children's books, and this is a big thing, and it's true. When I teach, because I teach classes now on writing children's books, you're writing for children, but you're also writing for the adult. You're writing for both in those pictures. But for our mirror is our worst enemy. When we walk by, we see who we, we see a reflection of who we are, but we don't see a reflection of who we are inside. We see a shell and we don't like that shell. And we forget to look inside and see what work needs to be done inside too, inside that shell. And Wilhelmina, he finds out that that work inside of herself needed some some something done too. It wasn't just her unibrow that was giving her the fit. It was what's inside that was causing her problem. Yeah. And I think a lot of times when we get comfortable with who we are inside, the outside is perfect. Right. Because we are who we are, right? Well, how many times do you see a person that you love and you don't really, you look at their outside and that's their face, but that's the face that you love because you love what's inside. You don't look at them and say, oh, she's beautiful or look at her, you know, whatever it is that's gorgeous. You look, you look, I love her. I love him or whoever, because what you see and what you feel is inside. And I think that's a great point as we wrap up um, our interview today, that if we can love ourselves regardless of our failures and we get complete, as I call it, get complete, really take the time to, to understand what happened, but not from the standpoint of becoming so contemplative about it that we don't do anything or that we overanalyze it, but like get complete, boom, boom, and move on. And other lessons will come up as we move forward. And I think that's, that's key is love. Just love ourselves. I know that sounds easier. It may even sound cliche, <laughs> but the point is, is that it's life. Failure Ooh. does happen. It happens to everybody. Life is unfair. It's unfair to everybody. And it's just a matter of picking yourself back up, doing what you need to do to move forward, but do it in a way that moves forward faster rather than not. There's, there's a saying that happens now, I didn't deserve that, or I deserve better. And I, well, I just want to cringe when I hear that. Mm-hmm. Because we, as humans, probably really don't deserve anything. 
Um, everything that we get is a blessing. That's great. Build on those blessings and be appreciative of them. I think that is a big start. Yeah, a lot of times as human beings, we feel entitled. Yes. And none of us are entitled to anything. That's just, that's just life. Well, again, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, Lisa. This has been a really insightful interview. And as I ask each and every guest is, what does success mean to you? Oh, success. It means that I'm in a position to help other people. It means that I can reach out and give you a hand up. I can encourage you. I can help other people. I have blessings. I have blessings in my wallet. Blessing is in my toolbox. And now I can help you get there too. That is success. I like that. Thank you. So thank you, Lisa. Um, since we have the rest of the year to make a positive difference, I believe today's information is going to inspire you as our listener to learn from your failure, learn from your failures, that's plural, and move forward. Again, as Lisa and I have talked about, don't forget to hire the right coach to guide you along the way. The URL for Lisa's books will be provided in the podcast overview for On the Air with Jeanette Sibley. I will also provide some of the other tools that I have used with my clients to help them move forward faster. I want to thank you for listening to On the Air with Jeanette Sibley. It's your time for success. Tune in next week for more insights on how to achieve the success you've always wanted with my straight talk for dynamic results. Until next week, enjoy a successful week.